Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and Mercedes ended the first pre-season test on top with Valtteri Bottas posting a 1 minute 15.732 seconds on the final day. But with Red Bull and Ferrari down the order, how much do we really know about who's quick and who's slow? And is Ferrari really in trouble? I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to dissect the first three days of running of F1 2020 are Scott Mitchell and Gary Anderson. Scott, you look like you're relaxing there with your with your gin and tonic. Yes, the most relaxed I've felt all week. We're in the... Uh we're in the, the the lobby of our of our lovely hotel near Barcelona Airport. Uh, I think well we've all got. Uh, are you two? Are you on your are you on your second gin and tonic or is that the first? No, these are the first. You've been nursing that one then. I've already. I'm I'm making. It's been a stressful week, so I'm making the most of it. Yeah, you may uh, you may hear in the background some hotel sort of lobby area restaurant area noises, but that's because we are in a real life hotel reception area lobby area. So it's very very glamorous. This life gin and tonic. Three-star hotel, you know, it's uh, living, living the living the high life. Uh, well, Gary Anderson, you're also living the high life. Now, you've got a spreadsheet in front of you. You've been crunching the numbers all day, and I know you can't wait to download the answers to the questions of, of who's quick and who's not. So you've been, you've been going through it. So give us a quick overview of the, of the verdict of where you think people sort of stand, or at least based on the, the numbers that are available. Well, yes, as you say, living the dream. Um, yeah, it's always very difficult because there's lots of different tyres. There's five different compounds here, uh, from the C1, which is the very hard tyre, to the C5, which is the very soft tyre. Uh, my normal trend is to look at the C3, which is the medium tyre. It's the yellow sidewall tyre that you have, um, you know, when you have a, a soft, medium, and hard tyre. Um, and the majority of teams run on that tyre because it's the, the that'll be the tyre will be used at some point in time at the majority of circuits. So I try and change the numbers around, have a few fudge factors and stuff here to bring it all back to reality, to the uh, C3 tyre. Mercedes, I get them at Um That actually comes from Lewis Hamilton on the hard tyre on the, um, I think it was the first day. Uh, today, Valtteri Bottas tried the, the softest tyre, but his time converted back to that didn't equate to the same lap time. Now, you know, the factor you use between the tyres is, is very difficult to, to, to just come up with the right number. But I look through the whole grid and, and compare that. So when you've done a time on a, the C3 tyre and then you've done a time on the softer tyre, I look at the difference and try to make sure that the averages are as near as possible. So anyway, we end up with Mercedes 70, um, 1 minute 16.432. Red Bull second fastest, 1 minute 17.135. So they're 0.7 of a second slower. Now the Red Bull, you know, it looks on the track very, very good, and I'm expecting it to to be very good. Uh, low speed corners, maybe a little bit of understeer, but you know, there's a lot of time to go yet for that sort of detail. Um, I, as a, as far as the car is concerned on the track, for me, it is the best car. Like, that's hard to say with it being seven tenths of a second slower than Mercedes, but it does look like you can commit. At the front end stays there. Again, if you look at the Mercedes and they push a little bit harder, it seems to be that it runs into a bit of an understeer. 
Uh, and then we get Racing Point, which, you know, uh, as we know, they've they've built a, a clone of the of last year's Mercedes. Nothing wrong with that because it's fully illegal, fully legal. Um, they've taken millions of pictures of the last year's Mercedes and uh, drawn all the bits up and put it in the wind tunnel and probably made it a little bit better because it's a different sort of aerodynamic group that's sort of developing it. So there's another set of 20, 30 engineers putting input into what was already a, a very good car. Uh, and then just quickly to go through them, an order, we've got Renault, uh, Alfa Tori, which was obviously the Toro Rosso team, uh, McLaren, Alfa Romeo, Williams, and then we got Ferrari. So difficult one to say, you know, they're 1.8 seconds slower than Mercedes. Um, in my book, that equates to about 60 kilograms of fuel. Now, there's no way that Ferrari are around 60 kilograms of fuel consistently more than Mercedes. So I think they do have some genuine problems that they need to need to address. And then we've got Haas, who are trying to find their feet after last year's problems. Um, tenth, and they're 1.9 seconds. So the one thing you'd say from all of this is, A, we haven't accounted for any fuel. I've tried the best I can to account for the tyres. Yes, and maybe a tenth of a second difference in there, here and there. Um, but the field is much, much closer than last year. And, you know, with Williams sitting in there at eighth, and the car looking consistent and and not a, a sort of roller coaster ride, which last year's car was for uh, for George Russell. You know, I think we're going to have a very packed um, midfield, but I think the midfield will join the front end as well. well. And just to stress, obviously, these corrected times, they're not kind of a prediction of where things definitely are at the moment. We don't think Ferrari's ninth. You don't think Ferrari's going to be two seconds off by the time we get to Melbourne. But, you know, as, as, we, uh, as we get more accurate numbers, it'll get closer, and Ferrari will probably be dealing in tenths. But... I think there's enough there to say yeah, that maybe something uh, going with Ferrari. I should say Mercedes, very happy. Valtteri Bottas was talking this afternoon about the car had gained on stability, but it's sort of rear end stability. They've done some work on the rear suspension, so that seems to have paid off with the mechanical platform. So Mercedes getting better, and of course the the DAS, the, the dual axis steering, uh, famous system that we talked about extensively on the, on the podcast later. So yeah, I think Mercedes in good shape, and Red Bull, you know, your gap seven seven odd tenths, just looking. The way the the longer runs were going, there didn't seem to, there was a time where there seemed to be a kind of seven tenths to eight tenths difference between Mercedes and Red Bull. So, you know, again, that's not going to be the gap. The, the gaps are probably exaggerated, but that gives us a reasonable working model. Yeah, and picking up on that, that seven tenth gap. What I found really interesting after the the second day of running this week, um, Mercedes obviously straight into those long runs and they just go out and it's just it's so impressive on on day two and and. At the end of, of doing, what's the Grand Prix distance around here? So 66, 66 laps. laps. Um, I think it was, I think Hamilton did a, did a, a like a, an 80, a, a, whatever the stint was at the end of his race run. So you know that he's gone through the full race run. And he, he did, he did a lap time average. I've actually got it, got it up here, but his lap time average at the end of that, that race run, which was on, I say it was on the Tuesday. So he did it was 30 laps at the end after his after his stop. So, you know, long stint in a, in a Grand Prix. Average time from that was, let's say it's in the, in the mid-120s. And then um, I looked at what a few of the other teams did because Red Bull and, and Ferrari, nowhere near that race run on, on day two. But they're in the mid-20s on short 11, 12-lap runs. And I know that that means they could well be going out there with... 67, 67, 68 laps worth of fuel on board. But I'd be surprised if they were. I was just really impressed by you come out 
we expect it to be closer than ever. Red Bull Ferrari taking the fight, and you know there's a reason that that, that Gary's corrected times so to, to to call it that. Have have Mercedes with, with with that advantage. Obviously, once everything shakes out, we get people doing performance runs on tires. The fuel comes out the car. The engine modes go up. Ferrari get a bit a bit more of a handle on on this car because I think of those big three teams, I think they've changed the most fundamentally in terms of. For whatever reason, whether you say it's because they were doing trick things with their engine that they're not allowed to do anymore, so they need to now have more cornering performance. They're they're learning a little bit more about this car, I think. May, and that you know that will that I suspect that will close up. Not expecting to go to Australia and have have that kind of gap. Certainly not expecting them, as Gary said, Ferrari to be that far off. But as it stands now, in terms of how refined they look on track and everything that they're doing, all the signs coming out of them. You're definitely not putting Ferrari on the same level as as a Mercedes or or even a Red Bull. Well, Gary, if you take the the kind of most generous view of Ferrari that you know detuned engine for for consistent reliable running, being fairly cautious with their run program, etc. You know, you you can you can find quite a bit of that time. So you know, a, a, the the most pro Ferrari analysis would say, well, they're just concentrating on their program, doing what they're doing, and they'll be right there with Mercedes. Personally, I'd say they're a little bit like that, but uh, you know. I should reiterate, we're not talking about them being two seconds off in real terms. We're talking about whether there's kind of a a gap of a, of a significant few tenths, you know, enough to make a, a big difference. So, how would how would you read it? What's your kind of most generous reading of of Ferrari, and where where do you feel they are? Because we know you're not that keen on aspects of the car concept. You said it yeah. looks a little bit out of date in some ways. Yeah, um, I have to say that I'm disappointed and. The backup to that for me is the fact that the body language of all the Ferrari people is is, is not something that says, yeah, we got this handled. We're just sort of playing it, playing it, you know, quiet at the minute. Um, they, you know, on day two, their 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 top speed was like 15 kilometers slower than uh, the fastest car, and they were like 1.8 seconds off the pace. Day three, they were actually faster than anybody else, and there's 1.8 seconds off the pace. So. You know, drag, drag and downforce go together. So basically, if your straight line speed is not there, you've um, you've got too much drag. But if you take downforce off the car to reduce the drag, you end up going faster. And I'm sure they've done that. But as far as those two are concerned, lap time can stay more or less the same, which which it has done. So to go faster and have more downforce, you've either got to get a more efficient car, or you've got to have more power. And I don't think they're able to. You know, get much more power out of it, unless, as you say, last year they were actually pushing the limits a bit too much. Um, and only time will tell us that. But uh, I criticise the car a little bit because you know they haven't joined the trend of of the aerodynamic philosophy that's going on up and down the pit lane. Um, they come out with a car in two thousand seventeen that was I thought was fantastic as far as the side pod construction or the ability to move the side pods back and move this crash structure forward and whatever. And everybody, except for um, Racing Point now, uh, who I've got, as I say, a clone of last year's Mercedes, who didn't do it, but everybody has gone that route. Mercedes have gone that route. And the, the thing about that is it gives more room for the barge boards and more room for the wake of the front tyre to realign itself to suit the rest of the car. So it's a positive solution. And, you know, that was Ferrari brought that into the, and to the you know the teams they they were the first with air with that sort of thing, so you thought that they had a good handle on on aerodynamics, but whenever I look at the nose detail and how they're going about that now, they're they're just way behind you know, 
And, and they've got to pick it up. They've got to do all these little details. Now, they're all just worth a hundredth of a second here and two hundredths of a second there, but they all add up to lap time. And, and I'm afraid to say what I see and the way I see their body language and the way I look at their lap time, they're in trouble. Now, Scott, obviously you heard from Matthew Bonotto today. He kind of was down, well, not downplaying everything, but he, he was not building up expectations. Was he? he was saying, yeah, we are, we are a bit behind. You know, we're not going to reinvent the, the car between now and Melbourne. What do you make of, of what he said? How do you interpret it? And is it is it just managing expectations and thinking, well, last year everyone talked us up, so let's talk ourselves down as much as possible and we'll go to Melbourne and we've been sandbagging, as people like to say, and they'll win by a minute, like Mercedes beat them by a minute almost last year. Or do you think this is a legitimate, they know they've got a little bit of work to do to to try and gain and, and be there with Mercedes? I always like to give the benefit of the doubt to someone from a team who traditionally has has been willing to admit and be honest about their failings and their shortcomings in the past because they've they've, they've done that in the past so you know in theory why would they be lying now but at the same time take what they say with a pinch of salt because they've all got an agenda at this time of the year no one really wants to to show their colours and also if Mattia Bonotto is just talking themselves down deliberately it's not going to be a bad thing for him in the in the medium term because in a month's time they if they smash it in Australia no one's going to say well hang on a minute no, <laughs> where's I, the other way around I, I'm, you can a, look stupid. I'm actually surprised we don't get lied to more often by by the teams there's nothing really stopping them from doing it but uh, that's a that's a different topic entirely I I would say that I I, I know Ferrari are definitely playing things down to a degree because of what happened last year that's why they changed the the way they've carried out their testing this week by by avoiding those early performance runs because they don't I don't think they even want a headline time that even suggests that they're that they're they're ahead because they got badly burned last year really badly burned turned up you go from being the pre-season favourite to not even finish on the podium in in Australia and that slap in the face basically reverberated so hard it was still it's still hitting them by the time they got to the summer break they didn't win any of the first 12 or 13 races so there is that element of caution but as Gary has pointed out as we've observed trackside in the data and from the, the the vibe that you're getting from from the team, that there is more to it than that because there's a way to play it down by just going about your business and then all you, all you have to say is we're happy with what we're doing and leave it at that. It's the fact that they're going out of their way. I mean, is either a you know I don't know whether you would class them as a good or a bad actor, but it's overkill. If this is about playing it down, I think it's overkill because he's acknowledging that they're behind. He's acknowledging that the lap times harder to come by even with fuel in the car than it was uh, a year ago you know Leclerc on the first day was quite positive about some of the changes that they're making we had one day of running in the car it's that was literally the least relevant media session from a Ferrari person we've had because they only had one day of data and then Sebastian Vettel spoke to us at the end of the second day and he said you know there are some areas that are an improvement and some areas that actually feel the same I mean that's a hint in itself because it means that not everything they've done is an improvement and uh, I go back to what I said um, during my first sort of monologue about this. I, d- I just don't think that car is as refined as a as a concept. I appreciate that they've got more to learn. I appreciate that they're working, as they say, working through lots of stuff. I'm sure there's lots of time in in, in the car on fuel or, or engine modes. But I, if if I had to put my money on Melbourne now, which would make me foolish if I was to was to do that with three days of testing still to go, especially after what happened last year, I wouldn't put it on a Ferrari win in Australia 
And at this stage, I, I wouldn't put it on a Ferrari podium as well. But there are three days left. There is time for them to turn it around. They might find something next week that makes me look like an idiot. And that's not a very that's not a very uh, hard thing to do, admittedly. But they 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 still might. Well, you're big, you're the one drinking this big green goldfish bowl at the moment. What, what it looks like. So I'm the only one drinking it. You you. <laughs> well, oh, actually, f- no. Do you know what? Gary's, Gary's almost Gar- done. Gary's, Gary's almost done. That's both to shame. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> Gary Gary knows how to if, uh, how to put it back. If if, if if listeners of a certain age, so let's say twenty-five or under, uh, are listening, Gary just then was the absolute like it, he was the he was the Kermit the Frog drinking tea meme, absolutely personified. This is this is Gary's world, and we're all just living in it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, that's what Formula One testing is all about. Uh, but yeah, I think with Ferrari, just just to sum sum up, I hope they're not too worried about the way they're being perceived, etc. There's one thing that ultimately matters. And that's the performance once the, the shooting starts, for want of a better word. And that's what they need to be focused on. I think this people get a little bit too wound up about the idea of sandbagging and doing this and doing that. Yeah, it'll be part of the, the thought process in the background. But, you know, Ferrari will be given a hard time in the media in Italy over the next month, whatever happens. Well, not whatever happens. If they were quick, they might be talked up. But the level to which he's talking it down will be negative. So if they are playing the media, they're going too far. So I think we can we can take him at his word and accept there's there's genuinely a little bit of concern. But again, I stress we're talking tenths here that they'll probably be looking for where you know they're not going to be two seconds back. So people really need to sort of take these numbers for what they are and the way they present them. People sometimes slightly, slightly misinterpret, particularly the early inter- uh, interpretation. Of, yeah, of I don't numbers. think I don't think Gary is genuinely predicting that Ferrari is going to be ninth of the ten teams in in Australia necessarily. <laughs> well, well, expression. <laughs> no, not, not necessarily. But you know, I've always found my, my cars. Now we come out to tell you the truth. You know, within ten laps, if you get a decent five six lap run, you know where you are pretty quickly. Because you cannot stop, you cannot slow down a, a quick car. It just flows. The driver just flows with it, and suddenly, bish, bash, bosh, there's a lap time there. And you think, oh, that's pretty good. So, uh, you know, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that at all. Now, I know last year they, they, they had difficulty in, in Melbourne and stuff, but that's what we saw from Ferrari last year. It never, ever went slow. You know, it always went quick. And it, it made Mercedes scratch their head dramatically and end up with the second test and then going to Melbourne with, you know, a lot of new stuff on their car because they had to, to react to it. They they knew Ferrari were quick. Then when we got to Melbourne, Ferrari screwed up a bit and Mercedes were just rocket ships. I mean, it, it actually surprised Mercedes. It surprised Ferrari even more. But, you know, then they regrouped and, and they had a competitive car. They didn't win races. But it's not all, you know, the, the winning of a race is not just about the speed. It's about a lot of stuff. And Ferrari weren't very good at that stuff last year. But they um, they had a quick car. So, I don't know. I'm not seeing what I would like to see from them. Because, as I say, with a quick car, you, you just can't hold it back. It just flows to do a lap time. It's interesting that you say that, actually, because I spoke to Alex Albon after testing finish today. And he's obviously reveling in the fact that he's got his first proper preseason in uh, in in the Red Bull. Um, and, he, and he didn't go off on his first lap of preseason. He did go off like after, did four, after four corners, uh, which was um, you know good going from from Alex. But he said five laps in to the first time he drove the car this week, he knew that he could feel it was better than last year's after five laps. And I, you know, again, I go back to that what 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 Vettel said. It's some things feel better, some things feel the same, and I've. I've not driven Formula One cars. I've not driven cars that are, are designed with with that level of uh, of detail. But if you buy, if you get something new, 
you expect something that's better all round, don't you? Right. Well, before we finish this first part of the podcast, just to sum up, and I'm just talking about the top three teams, we'll get into where the midfield may intersect with that in the second part. But I think we all kind of agree we're Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari at the moment of the, of the big three. Are we sort of happy with that as our very tentative mm. possible order? Or are you are you going to talk up Red Bull, Gary? No, I'm, I'm not going to talk up Red Bull, really. I'm not going to talk up Mercedes. I think that Ferrari going to win? No, I'm, I'm going to say that both of their cars, if I walk around the car and look at the detail and the complexity of everything, they're, they make sense. They're logical pieces of kit. Um, they have all the stuff plus a whole lot more in all the right places. Now, it's all about that stuff working, but it's all there. And, you know, I'm very, very impressed with those two cars. So I think the competition, in genuine, will be between those two teams. Which one, if I was to pick a car that looks on the circuit, not necessarily that time it's done, but looks on the circuit like it's, it's, it's pretty good, is the Red Bull. I mean, it just through turn one, two, and three is mega. I mean, it just, I went down there to watch, and it was, there was about five or six cars running around, and I know they're all on different strategies and stuff, and the Red Bull arrived then, and I thought, oh, that was mega. But the lap time, they didn't do it, so are they sandbagging? I think they probably are a little bit somewhere, but it, it was looked fantastic. It just was total commitment and total response from the car. Everything the driver did, the car responded and did it, and that was just what you want. If I was to, to judge Red Bull on body language, similar to what you were saying about Ferrari, it's the complete opposite. Speaking to Max Verstappen this afternoon, he's just he's. I would say he's borderline smug at the moment. He knows he knows that they haven't gone out and put that lap time in, so there is always that potential that potential for it when they try and do that. It, it's just not quite there. But they're really happy with their work at the moment. They're getting loads of laps in. They're getting all the work they want to do on their program. And you you can just tell that it's like you say, you can't hold back how good the car is. So I think what you're seeing is a really good car doing those lap times with fuel on board and with in in, in race mode, that, to, to put it in a slightly simplistic point, uh, point of terms. Well, the hope is that, yes, that the, the Red Bull is capable of fighting for the Mercedes and then hopefully if Red Bull that Ferrari rather makes gains then all three can be up there that's the dream that we always hope for and, and never get but I, I think uh, yeah it's uh, it, it's going to be uh, right now Mercedes and Red Bull are the most interesting in that regard yeah just going back to what Scott was saying about speaking to Max you see that's the difference in our age group I speak to his dad Yoss <laughs> and he's pretty excited is his granddad not around <laughs> Hey, Ed. <laughs> Keep it there. Um, no, Joss, Joss I mean, is a very good friend. I've known him for many, many years. And, uh, you know, he he doesn't pull his punches. But I think between them, they're, they're pretty excited about everything that's going on. And they were very complimentary about Honda. They really have, he said, you know, they really have come of age. And that'd be great. I mean, that's just what we want. We really, really want competition at the front. I don't care who wins. I have no, you know, or on pole position, I don't care. But I want to see them battle for it. I want to see not known to the last corner of the last lap before the checkered flag. Yeah, so say all of us on, on that one. We'll be back in the second half to talk a little bit about some of the midfielders. Well, welcome back to the race podcast. Ed Straws dried himself off after Gary Anderson threw a gin and tonic in his face for that last granddad comment at the end. But it wasn't my gin and tonic. Well, there's Scott Mitchell uh, crashing into my introduction to the second part of the podcast, which is a very, I think there's, there's, an, there's an end of term feel this to this. Is, this, this is a podcast of... coup, mate. I'm, I'm coming for you. <laughs> you're, t- you're taking over. Well, let's see if we can get things back under control. 
Talking about the mid-pack, Gary, Racing Point was the team that, in your analysis, came out very well. Actually, the fastest on just pure lap time was was Alfa Romeo, Kimi Raikkonen's mm-hmm. yep. time from earlier in, in the test. Just pure lap time doesn't really mean a, a great deal, but... Yeah, Racing Point. They've they've gone to this this Mercedes esque car. They've shifted from a high rate to a slightly lower rate philosophy. In fact, Omar Safnauer, the team principal, was talking about how while they had the Mercedes gearbox, uh, particularly packaged for a few years, trying to get around that to do the high rate concept was actually quite tricky. But they've kind of gone all in on the on the Mercedes approach, and that early signs are that's paying them off quite well. They set their targets as winning the midfield, so fourth and a stronger fourth than ever before. When that was said at the start of the week, that seemed possible, but quite aggressive, particularly the the stronger fourth. But now you're sort of looking at it and thinking, there's, there's a there's a car there. Yeah, I, I think if we if we take what we had last year of a, the top three and and then the midfield, there was a gap between the two of them. And I think from what I see of the, of the racing point, from the team that I know that's there, that are very clever guys, great team, but you know they they're just not the size of those top three. Um, so this is what they've done now with this, uh, you know, clone of the of the Mercedes, and, and um, obviously it's developed as well. It's it's not just the Mercedes. You, know, you look at the front suspension, the geometry inside of the monocoque, the stuff they have in there is different from what Mercedes use. So there's a lot of stuff on there that's the, their own, and just details in the aerodynamics. Although it's visually driving down past the past you in the pit lane, it looks very similar. It isn't. Um, there's a lot of detail there that's different, and that's me- that's meant the guys that I know very well, aerodynamics there have taken that package and exploited it a little bit further. So it's a sort of Mercedes 2019B car with a bit of refinement here and there. And I think that what I'm seeing from them now in the car and how they just got gone about their business, you could see them escape from the midfield. I'm not saying they'll close the gap to the front, but I'm saying that you might see them escape from the midfield. And if Ferrari performers, I think they will do. I think you can see Red, um, Red Bull. What are they doing there? Uh, I think you see Racing Point and Ferrari having a bit of a battle for that third big team. I'm not saying, again, that, that, that uh, Red, Racing Point can be in the top three, but I'm saying there's going to be uh, going to fill that, that the gap, that void, and there's a bit of a battle going on there. So I think it would be, I would be excited if I was them with what I've got, what the potential is. Um, and we know that, you know, Driver-wise, with um, Perez, he's, he can do the job for sure. Um, and give him the opportunity, you know, he'll he'll have a sniff of a point or two on a podium or two, no problem. So yeah, I think they're the ones that might escape it. Renault, um, they've done a good job. The car looks very, very good, much, much better than last year. Um, it looks like Ocon's dropped in there fairly well. You know, we always knew he's a quick driver. He, he saw the red mist a few times when he was driving for um, for Racing Point or Force India as it was at the time. Um, he saw the red mist a few times and ended up battling too much. But again, they they should move forward. So uh, that's going to be a very interesting area, and that is the competition. I mean, it's so close there. Yeah, it's looking very very uh, con- congested there, and of course McLaren. So they've got lots more to come. So we'll see them move forward. AlphaTauri had a pretty solid test, and they've. They've targeted fifth place, improving from last year. So, yeah, it's it's very congested. It's interesting though that this uh, this kind of partner team thing has kind of flared up again. Obviously, Scott Haas have been criticised over a few years, including by what was Force India about uh, how close they were to the Ferrari. Obviously, we've got the Alfa Tori. They've moved ever closer to using as many non-listed parts from Red Bull as possible. 
plus what uh, what Racing Point have done. Um, obviously, Racing Point and AlphaTauri used 2019 kit from their partner teams. For the Haas stuff is all 2020 uh, stuff. But what do you make of that? Because Otmar Safnauer, he was asked about, well, you've criticised, you've been a bit critical of Haas in the past for this. Aren't you just doing the same thing? And he was saying, yes, well, it's very, very different what we're doing. And he sort of described how And I did say to him, well, okay, how is it different? Because what you've just, they would say they're doing exactly what you're doing. And so Otmar said, well, we've got our aero department is as big as their whole team, et cetera, et cetera. He didn't quite go as far as to saying what the sort of implication of, of, of what he was saying. But, you know, it's, it's clear there's still some uh, some question marks there in some teams' minds about what people are doing. But all these teams have to do their own aero, their own bodywork surfaces. In order to do this, non-listed parts, you can take what you want. Listed parts, which includes the monocoque, bodywork surfaces, exhaust, etc., you have to do yourself and you have to own the, the IP. So where, where do you see this? This is just teams being savvy, isn't it? And I think anyone being a bit sour about it just needs to kind of accept that's that's the way it is. Well, there are only two teams on the grid that I think can legitimately copy what Mercedes do or, or try to copy what they do. And that would be Racing Point and Williams because I think if you're going to use their engine and then... I think the sensible way of going about it as a customer team is to do what Racing Point do, and then you use the gearbox as well, and then you have to, you know, respect the pickup points and 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 whatnot, and you, you know, the you know the geometry at the rear of the car should reflect that. And Williams purposefully don't go down that route because they're just oh, it's this really frustrating and grating thing that Williams has of oh well, we have to design and build absolutely everything on our car because it's the way we've always done it. Well, for the first whatever it was, twenty five years. Of, or 30 years that that might that might have worked less than that really move with the times you've got to racing point are doing that with this um as gary quite eloquently put it the sort of 2019 b car because none of the other teams on the grid have that that data available and they don't have that sort of physical architecture for want of a better way of putting it at the rear of the car to then sort of perfect the design around it and what racing point have been doing up till now is basically taking this mercedes architecture and then trying to basically sort of mash this different conflicting design around it and basically what andrew green their technical director has said is we've kind of we've realized now that we've actually got the money and the the we've got the staff to to try and replicate their their design on the surface we're going to do it because it's it's stupid of us to think that a team this small can can not it's not about doing their design better it's about taking their design and 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 twisting it in an in a entirely different way so i think what racing point are doing is is actually very very intelligent and it's what a customer team should do it's the sort of model williams should follow Haas and alfa romeo it would work really well for if the ferrari itself was fundamentally a better car but they're the, the, of those big teams that you know ferrari's not quite there is it so their customers uh, suffer for it and it's why i think alpha tower are going to have potentially a really good season because you've got we know that last year's red bull is a good car okay it had a little bit of a i wouldn't i don't know if balance problem is the right way of putting it but sometimes that car was a little bit tricky to drive but they've been able to refine that by putting all of their resource into the parts that they can build so what alpha tower and racing point are doing is i think it's really clever I, I i don't see why you don't do more of it and i know that we've got these changes coming in in 2021 and the, 
the hope is that you can then have 10 teams on the grid that can all go out, build completely their own cars, and we'll all have a great time going racing for $175 million a year. I don't think it's going to quite work that way, is it? This reality doesn't quite reflect the ideals. I think it, it makes perfect sense to go that way, and sort of Alfa Romeo have sort of edged that way, although they're not quite all in the same way uh, Hass are. And the whole thing about the idea that kind of cars are copied, like you say, there is there are fundamental geometries. I mean, we, Gary, we earlier today spoke to Rob Taylor, the chief designer at, at Haas, and he's basically saying, well, we have to go, we do have to go high right because we've got the Ferrari gearbox and rear suspension. They don't have the, it's it's not really available to them to go for a more Mercedes, which is still the car with rake. It's not, it's not really right to call it low, it's relatively low rake. So that then leads to certain other aero solutions, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, if you're going to take aero inspiration as teams look at what each other are doing, it would be madness if you were Haas and you'd look at a Mercedes and try and copy that. That would be illogical. So yeah, you go down the the, the Ferrari route. So it's if you look at it, it's it's enabling teams that otherwise wouldn't be so competitive to be to, to be competitive, which is for the benefit of F one really. But are we looking at the time whenever we should have the works teams, the big boys, which are you know Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, and it should be Renault, um, and each of those are committed to a B team. You know, just to, just to sort Formula One out a little bit, commit them to a B team. That would be eight teams, and you would have that would be you know definitely in a better competitive position. And then you have also you know you might have two stragglers out the end that can be taken up by you know to be a C team or a, or a, a B plus team. There's a, there's a way of making all this function for everybody because obviously there's people a bit excited, you know, especially at McLaren. I think they're a little bit excited about what they call the pink Mercedes. Um, because obviously it's their competition. They haven't gone that route. They've used the philosophy of designing their own car. And I, and I have to say, if I was a technical director now, I would have resisted that solution because I always felt that you had to be competent within your own company to design the car from, from, from a clean sheet of paper. And every detail in the car should be designed. Now, if you go back to Formula One a long, long time ago, you went to Cosworth in Northampton, you bought a DFE, you went to Hewlands down um, near Windsor and you bought a, a, a Hewland gearbox you, bo- you bolted the two together somehow and you built up the rest of it you made you know you made everything else work that was more or less what you know Haas and and uh, and Racing Point and these t- these teams are now doing Toro Rosso or as, as uh, Alfa Tori so you know you have to I think it needs to be made more official what you can do and I think it would be great to be able to actually stand up and say, right, okay, we want to nominate a B team. It may be that, you know, that Racing Point have to go and, and pay Mercedes X money or whoever else is the B teams, you know, um, Alfa Tori to pay, to pay Toro Rosso, or to pay um, Red Bull, you know, X money for to be to have that pleasure of being a B team. But it should be done more official than, than it is now, which seems to all be a little bit under the counter. Well, it does create this, these accusations where people have in the past, past have suggested Haas have had too much aero. Well, they, they're not allowed to have aero data. That The aero program has to be kind of hermetically sealed, shall we say. You can't exchange data. They can, mechanical bits, and they can give feedback on or whatever, but the aero programs have to be separate, and that's, that's the key thing. It's almost like implied skullduggery, isn't there, with the way it works at the moment? Because... The, the way the listed and non-listed parts work, they are it's meant to encourage that kind of setup. 
but it doesn't quite go far enough as making it, as you say, Gary, like make a, an official link between obviously the exception for the last few years being Red Bull and Toro Rosso. But even then, it was only really recently that Red Bull and Toro Rosso have properly uh, tried to, to to exploit those rules to, to the fullest. And Haas coming in was built around that model. But the, yeah, I agree. I, I think I think everyone's healthier if if you go down because people are trying to do that anyway. Why not make life easier? Should we? Yeah, we, we've we kind of got well, not bogged down because it's a great it's a great topic, and uh, yeah, the I think Gary's right in that we do have this strange halfway house customer cars were outlawed after two thousand and eight because of course the remember the two thousand and eight Toro Rosso for example was the Red Bull only adapted for the Ferrari engine and it had some had a few suspension tweaks but you know it was a customer car and uh, and Honda could do the same with Super Aguri before that uh, fell by the wayside in oh eight so full blown customer cars are gone but you've got these halfway houses so. This does leave it open to accusations of uh, of, uh, of sharing of sharing of data or whatever they shouldn't be. Although we should say every time that's been looked into by the FIA, etc., it's been emphatically been found to be fine. So let's be fair to them there. Uh, we're just sort of picking up a few of the other straggler teams. I think, as we said, you know, solid from AlphaTauri. AlphaTauri is the way to pronounce it. Actually, I learned that from going to the launch the other day. Um, McLaren, we're going to see more from. So AlphaTauri, solid. McLaren, more to come. Alfa Romeo, yeah. the fast overall lap time but still still some work there has running around doing their data gathering and trying to make sure they've they've not got a repeat of last year's problem which was an aero problem at heart now the interesting thing for them is it wasn't detectable well it wasn't detected i should say uh in barcelona last year because cool temperatures and track characteristics went against it and in fact the same in, in melbourne so Haas left Melbourne and in fact all the way up till the race started in Bahrain it was all looking great for Haas and then suddenly there's this big problem it was initially talked about as the rear tyres not sort of being overworked etc that's because there was a fundamental aero problem rear aero was stalling etc and that stymied them for the whole year so Haas sort of Haas just doing aero data gathering work we'll see next week whether they've got some pace but I think as you've said Gary they, they've before the same thing applies. That car hasn't shown any speed yet, and a quick car shows shows speed. And also, they've had a needless setback. I, I, it's not necessarily their fault, but they've had that setback because of a crash caused by a problem. And Gunsteiner was explaining at the end of the day that it was uh, something something basically failed on the at the the rear of the car between the the I think in the space between the the wheel itself and the hub, there was some kind of uh, failure, and basically the 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 wheel then basically lunged itself, um, which which caused a failure that then pitched Magnussen into a, into into a spin. But I don't see any other team suffering that. Maybe they are just really unlucky. But this isn't the first time they've had that kind of mechanical setback. And when you've not got necessarily the strongest aerodynamic platform, and you're coming off of a season as miserable as theirs, I, I don't think you want to lose that that kind of running at, at the end of the day. So, and just very quickly, Williams, they they're actually going to go racing this year, aren't they? they I think we yeah. talked about this before that. Yeah, I think they're going to go racing. I mean, the car looks like a racing car on the track. Um, it can, holds the same line. It's you know they're driving it. They're doing lap time after lap time, you know, consistently and stuff. So yeah, George Russell, as I say, is, is somebody I think has uh, got a lot of potential, and it'd be nice to see him get a good break. And I think you know they won't they won't go and win races this year, um, but I think they'll they'll join that mid pack fairly comfortably, and uh, and that'll give them all that little bit more motivation and drive to to get there again so I'm hoping for them because you know Frank Williams I've known for too many years uh, these, a lot of these grey hairs come from knowing people for a long time so I'd love to see them do a good job again 
Well, that's it from our first test coverage from, from the race. We'll be back for the second test next week. We're going to have a few days off podcasting, as I think we've, uh, we've done about 11 consecutive days with launches and, and testing. So it's been, uh, it's been great fun to bring you all the latest from that. Do check out therace.com. That's the hyphen race.com. Loads of uh, stuff on there to read about testing from Gary, Scott Mitchell, Mark Hughes, myself, and other stories from the world of motorsport as well. So, yeah, we'll be back next week, and uh, we hope you'll be there with us as well.